respected uh, friends, we'll move on to the next uh, portion of the story of Musa alayhi salatu wasalam, where he had uh, left his family, his, or more specifically his wife, to go grab some fire, a firebrand to bring some warmth to her and to him in the night, to become a means of light as warmth as well. So that's where uh, he had gone, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then um, granted him something much different than that. So this is pretty amazing uh, what happened over here. What is that? That he went to go get fire. He went to go get nar. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him nur. He went to go get nar. Allah granted him nur. And this is how many times things work. That you, grow, you go to get something and what you end up receiving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually much, much greater than what you expected. And that's why they say that you should have hope in uh, everything. Never dismiss any opportunity. When something comes to you, don't ever dismiss it as what's going to come out of that. This is so true. You don't know what's going to come out of where. Sometimes the most beautiful things happen in the uh, most um, simple and, uh, uh, you know, uh, humble me- in the humble settings. So when we, when we dismiss someone, meeting with someone, because he's not that great, not that famous, or we d- dismiss a meeting uh, in a place we feel like it's not worth our time, we don't know what type of opportunities we're closing upon ourselves. So, the meeting here was simply to go get fire. And what, what happened? He ended up receiving revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what, um, one of the things that ulama have spoken about. The Prophet sallallahu said, do not look down upon any good deed. Don't look down upon any good deed. Even if you meet your, even if you meet your brother with a smiling face, if you pour water into his cup, don't undermine any good deed. So that's the same thing, because we don't know which good deed will become the reason for our forgiveness. When you're helping out someone, don't look at what will this person do for me if I help him out. Instead, look at the fact that I'm helping a servant of Allah be a Muslim, non-Muslim, wealthy, poor. Male, female, whoever it is, if I can be of assistance to this individual for the sake of Allah and I don't want anything in return, this action itself is extremely weighty. So we should be reminded that while the, commun- the world puts uh, emphasis on certain types of people and certain, certain types of meetings, and what is that? Um, that every single thing is a, is everything, they call it, everything is about leveraging. Right? Everything is, how can this meeting be leveraged? How can this relationship with this person be leveraged? How can I milk this meeting, milk this individual? What, how can I use this individual as a stepping stone to get somewhere else? How can I use this meeting or this individual as a stepping stone to fulfill my materialistic plans? That's the world we live in. And so the aspect of pure sincerity between meetings is rarely found. And hence, Rasulullah said one of the most beloved actions in the sight of Allah is... Al-hubbu fillah. To love one another only for the sake of Allah. Where you want nothing in return. You're not looking. There's no catch here. There is no catch. 
You're a slave of Allah. I love Allah, so I have to love you. I love Allah. You're the slave of Allah, so I have to love you. So when this type of sincerity comes between us, my beloved friends, then amazing things will start happening. If this group of friends, brothers and sisters who are listening now, who are sitting here around me, if we start saying, I love the brother next to me, for Allah's sake, I don't know his name, I don't know where he's from, I, he seems to have a different skin color, he seems to have a different ethnicity. However, he is with me, sitting next to me in the house of Allah, listening to the tafsir of the Qur'an. He is a fellow slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My love should be there for him. I should be available for his khidmah and his service. If we can create a type of community where we are not uh, putting our love and relationship with people based on what we're getting in return, especially materialistically, then we will be able to achieve unbelievable things. We will be, this is what exactly what the Sahaba were. Sahaba were people who loved one another for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake. And as they say, you know, blood is thicker than everything else. But for the Sahaba, it wasn't. Iman is thicker than blood. Iman is thicker than blood. Brotherhood based on Iman, there was nothing that could compete with that. SubhanAllah, the stories of this are just, are just amazing. Uh, of how Sahaba were ready to give up everything for their fellow Muslim brother, even if it means sacrificing their own blood relatives. Uh, the idea here, as we were speaking about the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him something great when he wasn't expecting it. And gave him risala. So he comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he, Allah Azza wa Jal speaks to him. And we said, he, Allah says, I chose you, so listen to me. We spoke extensively last week on the importance of listening. Importance of listening to things before we follow through. If we don't listen properly, we won't be able to fulfill anything. Including teaching our children how to listen properly. Allah Azza wa Jal explains that I am Allah and that you have to worship me and establish salah for my remembrance and that day of judgment has been hidden. Do not allow the people who have two traits, who don't believe in the akhirah and who follow the, their desires to turn you away. Because these two people are very toxic. People who have these two qualities, characteristics are toxic. Those who don't believe in the akhirah and those who follow their desires. Nabi said in hadith, لَا يَأْكُلْ طَعَامَكَ إِلَّا تَقِي Don't allow anyone to eat your food besides a muttaqi. Only a muttaqi should eat your food. That doesn't mean that you don't hand out tons of money everywhere, uh, food everywhere. No, you give feed everyone. But who are you going to invite to your home and honor and spend quality time with? A muttaqi. Make sure the time that you're giving to people are with the people who are of taqwa. Why is that? Because we are all, believe it or not, we're all taking from one another. There's no such thing as, I'm going to sit in a bubble and I'm going to sit in front of someone at dinner and not, and not take effect from him. Nehoga. You're going to take effect. Who do you want to take effect from? You want to take effect from people who've got taqwa. People who are higher than you in deen. Those are the people that when you sit with them for an hour, you come back, you're like, man, I was, that was something else. But if we sit with people who have no fear of Allah, who are simply talking about how they've fulfilled and continue to fulfill their desires and lustful desires, and want to spend their wealth, if you sit with such people, then that's a type of jazbat, that's a type of desires that will come to us. And you wonder, why am I never happy with my life? You know one big reason for that? Because we always tend to hang out with people who spend more lavishly than we do or who have been tested with more wealth than we do. And so when we continuously hear of how they're spending their wealth or their time, we have so much, yet we become ungrateful. I remember I was a student. When I was a student, there was one individual, subhanAllah, he was, Allah blessed him with a lot of wealth. And he was actually an alim, a scholar. Allah blessed him with a lot of money. So he would take me out sometimes to lunch during, you know, I was a young 15, 16 year old madrasa student at that time, third, fourth year, whatever it was. 
And uh, it was just for the sake of enjoying a meal. But naturally, this person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him a lot of money. So he would, you know, just, by the way, not necessarily trying to show off, but we'll talk about this car or that car or this thing or that thing. I'm a student who's running on a $500 per year budget. <laughs> $800 a year budget, right? I got to look at it. So now to sit there and listen to these stories, I actually felt that when I'd come back home, back to the madrasa, I would be not happy or grateful for what I had. Even though what I had was literally tens of times to what my classmates had. They were classmates who would never be able to afford a burger, would never be able to afford a shoe. I remember there was one student in, uh, from Tanzania who was in my class. He told me he never wore shoes or slippers for 16 years of his life. Only after 16 years he was able to afford a shoe or slipper. The first time he saw a light bulb was he came to Madrasa, a tube light, tube light. People from the you know, villages of Africa, where, can, where would they ever dream of having $100 of their own? Now I can go buy a burger without having to worry. I can go buy a, a drink for without... They can't. They cannot afford Coke. They can't afford a burger. They can't afford a chocolate bar. Only the madrasa would give them a stipend. The madrasa would give them a stipend. Their own selves, they wouldn't have money to buy toilet paper. The madrasa would give them stipend besides paying for the tuition and would pay a stipend. With that, they're able to take care of their basic necessities. So I should feel like I'm a millionaire, right? Surrounded by such people. What happens? But you go sit with someone who's got more than you and who talks about that. Then you come back feeling that you don't have nothing. So then I stopped. I said, I started excusing myself and I was the end of that. Right? Even though it was a free lunch there. <laughs> but it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Because why? You're walking away, your lunch will die, get digested within two hours. You will forget about the taste within 30 minutes. But the feeling of, not, of unhappiness will linger on for the next week. It's not worth it. So if we start watching the people who we, have, who we spend our time with and who we accompany, a lot will change. A lot will change. There's, there's no way we're going to miss this dars if there's a certain group of people you stick around with. There's no way you're going to miss your salat with jama'ah if there's a certain group of people you stick around And there's no way you're going to be able to make it here if you stick with a certain group of people. So it's all about the company we choose. It's all about the company we choose. It's all about the company we choose. So, وَلَا يَكُلْتَ إِلَّا تَقِي Do not allow anyone to eat your food beside the taqi, muttaqi, God-fearing, meaning don't spend quality time in inviting people to your home. Except for people of taqwa, because the, it's not about money, it's about your time. When you sit with someone, you are taking from them. So sit with people of taqwa. So Nabi Wasallam, that those who have these two characteristics, which is following their desires and not believing in the hereafter, if you sit with them, what will happen? They will turn you away from Allah, and you will be destroyed and fallen into doom. And Nabi, Musa, he, Allah is speaking to him. This is the honor he has. But Allah is telling him, it's not over. Just because you're speaking to me, it's not over. No, you have to make sure once you leave from here, you, don't, you do not stay in the company of people who disbelieve in the hereafter and those who follow their desires. How do you and I think one i'tikaf for 10 days, one i'tikaf for 3 days, or one umrah, or one hajj, or one amazing spiritual experience, or one majlis, or one gathering of tafsir is going to change our life for good. We're seal-proof. We're never going to get affected by the environment. That's foolishness, isn't it? Of course we're going to get affected by our environment. If a Nabi is being told, then make sure who you spend time with. And this is where today's tafsir title comes from. Right? Uh, about what is in your hand. Right? What is, O oh Musa, what does your right hand hold? This is, so now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already knows, of course. Allah knows properly what Musa has. But this was a conversation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to have with Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows him to respond. And you see here 
that there is a, a, an amazing taste and a sweetness of discussion, talking to Allah. SubhanAllah. When a person speaks, let's just take halal examples. Halal examples. A person is uh, going to uh, see his, uh, uh, his fiancée, he's about to get married, first meeting. Okay? And he has a first meeting. Everyone, almost everyone sitting here probably remembers the first meeting with their wife. And the wives remember the first meeting with their husband. It might have been 30 years ago. But there's something you remember about it. You can't forget that. And if a person has been newly married, subhanAllah, and his wife is overseas, he's waiting for her, he speaks to her for five minutes, he comes into the masjid, subhanAllah, he doesn't need to put on itar. His smile is just given off musk. He comes like, what's going on? You can see it on his face. You can read it on his face, the excitement that he just spoke to his wife. SubhanAllah, right? May Allah keep our relationships with it, our spouses super strong after years and years of living together. Right? SubhanAllah. It's, it's very scary. Very scary how uh, this, this, this effort, we've, I've, I've told you this before, the atheism fitna, the LGBTQ fitna, the gender identity fitna, and the divorce. These are all connected. All connected. They all seem to be all pre-Dajjali fitnas happening. This is something that shaitan is working at the highest levels. Highest levels of shayatina working together to create these problems, to completely, completely destroy our society. Destroy our society. When marriage, first of all, has become so hard, that's why zina has become so easy. So easy because marriage has become so hard. How many youngsters are sitting, mashallah, amazed to, I'm so happy to see. But how many of us are married here? And we all talk about our issues of getting married. And then now with so much difficulty, you end up getting married? There you go. Within one month, within two months, within three years, within five years, divorce. As soon as divorce happens, again, the doors of haram open up again. That's it. And number two, then the, if you have children, then what type of, uh, what type of uh, you know, uh, environment are we granting them? All of these unfortunate, unfortunate things that you're seeing around the country. This very sad incident that happened today about the killing of these innocent children. SubhanAllah, heart breaks listening to this, SubhanAllah. The only silver, silver lining of this strategy is, is that these children, inshallah, will be waiting for their parents. Hopefully Allah give them hidayah to the parents, but they'll be waiting for the jannatis in jannah as young kids, innocent kids who have died. Right? But what, you, if you look and I'm not an expert, I haven't studied all the, uh, the, the, the serial killers and mass murders. But I have an inkling that if you were to study, that you'll see there that they come from broken homes. And there's very a lot of disturbances from the young childhood. And that's almost like almost all the time you'll see happening. Anytime you see children acting up in school, children acting up anywhere, you'll see that this is, a, this is an effect of the stress factors that they're going through in their life. A big stress factor is the divorce of the parents. Vulmun azim, Massive oppression we're doing on our kids. When we think, we let our nafs come in, and we say, I'm out. I'm going to call the lawyer. I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to call this. Well, you call whoever you want for yourself, but what about these poor innocent kids? What about these poor innocent children who are going to suffer? And let's not deny this fact, that today we're seeing a massive rate of divorce, and also a massive rate of children, unfortunately, going through unprecedented levels of stress, unprecedented levels of attempted suicide, unprecedented levels of delinquency, unprecedented levels of fitna and fasad from a young group of people. And you wonder, where did this rage come? You're only 18, you're only 15, you're only 12. What has really ticked you off to this level that you do something like this? And we, we all in the room know that what an effect it has when you have fighting between moms and dads, between husbands and wives. The dhulm that we're doing to the kids is huge. And we will be asked about this. This is an amana. So that's why I beg Allah that He save our marriages. And may He allow us to not become partners with shaitan and, and ganging up on our spouse. When you, get, when you go in through a fit of rage and you're angry at your spouse, understand this is from shaitan. 
read and please walk away. Do, control ourselves, control our tongues, control our text messages, control what we say. This tongue is crazy. It is so sharp, much sharper than any sword out there. That's why they say, The sword, the wounds of the sword can eventually get healed up, but the wounds of the tongue do not heal. And this is their issue. The men may be using their hands, Allah forbid, in some parts of the world. And women are using their tongues in this part of the world and every other part of the world. And what they say is poisonous and it will destroy generations. Men and women both need to realize that our marriage together is the biggest ni'mah we can have. I tell you, when I see a young married or young or old married couple with their kids flying in an airplane or in an airport, dil khushurat, I get happy. Just happy, just to see a happy couple. Because that's how rare it is. That's how rare it is. Growing up too, I saw, you know, my neighbors getting divorced. Non-Muslims. You know, and I would just see, I could hear, growing up, I could hear the fighting from next door neighbors. Non-Muslims, both of them. And I've seen, like, subhanAllah, as I grew up, how they were, husband and wife, and their beautiful little kids next door to me, my, like my age, and how the whole families tore apart. In front of me, both of our neighbors. So this is a very painful thing that we need to understand. This is like we're talking about COVID is coming back again. What, what, what's coming back? What's the, what, is, what hasn't even gone and it's only increasing is what? Divorce. So for Allah's sake, this is my plea to all husbands and wives, and for those husbands-to-be and wives-to-be, there's so many marriages going to happen this weekend. So many marriages happen in the summer. What you, we, to get married is easy, but to remain married is very hard. To get married is very easy, it's apparently. To throw a big lavish party is very easy. To throw money at your party is very easy. But to keep the husband and wife married is very hard. So at least if 50% of us understand, if the wives who are listening to me understand, or the husbands understand, the best scenario both understand, but let's just say they're not both listening. At least half of us understand that I'm up a, I'm a uphill battle against the enemy. My enemy is not my spouse. My enemy is who? Shaitan. My enemy is not my spouse. My enemy is shaitan. My spouse was a very good person before I got married or in the first years of marriage. What made them so bitter to who they are today? It's not they have something. I've done everything possible. What's going on? It's shaitan who wants me to hate them. And shaitan is making, me, making them hate me. And the end result is to destroy us. The, the after effects, what's, what's wrong with this society? What's not wrong with this society? Morally. And it starts off with a massive divorce rate. Or, ma or a massive rate of children out of wedlock. Right? Simple as that. So we should all who are listening here, make this azam and irada that we will, not, we will try. You look at the good old thing that our parents used to say. There's no D word in our dictionary. There's no D word. It doesn't, doesn't exist. You're going to make it with hook or crook. You're going to make it last till you die. How many years you got left? As someone said, there's so few years to live. There's barely time for us to love one another. We wonder how people find time to hate one another. Life is so short. Like you just saw these little kids dying. Life is so short. You don't know when, when it's time for us to go. Barely have time to express love for one another. How do we sit there and find time to sit and hate? Hate on the person you stay with and you sleep with and you're in their house the whole time. This is nothing but shaitan. The Quran speaks about this extensively. How anger and hatred comes from shaitan. So when, this, when you get that urge to say something back to your spouse, when you get that urge to, to act out of character, for Allah say, control yourself. Say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajim. Walk out of the door and sit quietly in the car. Sit quietly somewhere else. Go to the basement, whatever. Separate until this, 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 this shaitani wave passes by. And that's the hadith taught, teaches us all that. Saying, A'udhu Billahi Minash Rajim. Doing wudu, right? Performing salah. Or going to sleep. It helps a lot. But whatever you do, do not act at that moment. Because it, my heart breaks, man. My heart. And then there's many who are listening to me right now.
who are going through divorce. And I'm, I receive messages almost one a day of people who I know for so long. And they're married with four kids, three kids, 10, 15, 20 years. And they're like, done, Mufti Sahib, we're done, khalas. Like, but what happened? Like, no, it's finished. Like, no, no, it's not finished. We gotta, you know, at least one of you's gotta have hope that we gotta get this done. And that's what the Quran says, in yurida islahan If both of them want to make it work, Allah will make it work. Straight from the Quran, in yurida. If they both wanted to make it work, Allah will make it wanna work. But today, because of shaitani influence, one or both say, that's it, I'm done. I'm done, I'll call the 911, I'll call the police, I'll call the lawyer and call that and thinking that's going to solve the problem. And then they end up suffering for 10 years in courts, they lose 80%, 70% of the assets. And then on top of that, no one's happy, everyone's bitter, 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 bitter. And the whole life is spent, unfortunately, in trying to you know, fight back against their spouses, etc. So this toxicity at an individual level is now affecting our whole community. So we should make this a regular dua. Just like we make dua for our iman, make dua for our marriages. What we as a young non-married brothers may not understand, and sisters may not understand, but a happy marriage, subhanAllah, is a key to the strength of your faith. It's a key to keeping away from haram. It's a key to righteous children. This is one of the greatest things you have to ask Allah for. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata ayun. Oh Allah, please make my children and my spouse the coolest of my eyes. This is a dua we need to make regularly. رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَاتِنَا قُرَّةَ عَيُنْ وَجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا And make me the Imam of the Muttaqeen. So this is, uh, I was talking about somehow the first conversation we have with our spouse. It's memorable. So now Musa salam, it gets a chance to speak to Allah. And it's so memorable for him. So Allah simply asks him, what is in your hand? And then Musa salam, begins to give a long answer. This is called itnab, making a long. He said, قَالَ هِيَ عَصَايَ It's my staff. He could have stopped there, but he didn't. He said, I actually lean upon it. And I beat down leaves for my sheep. You take your staff and you hit the, low, uh, the, tree, the branches of the tree by which then the leaves fall down onto the ground and the sheep eat it. So he said, that's what I do. And therein for me are other uses as well. So what does ahushu mean? One meaning is to hit the branch of the tree so that the tree leaves can fall and the sheep and, uh, and the animals can eat. Number two, meaning of ahushu means to take that staff and put it on the back of the animals and push them in a certain direction. Like a shepherd does. He puts the staff on the back of the animals and says, let's go, and puts them in a certain direction. So this is what ahushu biha means. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks him, alqiha uh, ya Musa. Okay? Uh, come and throw it, throw it to the ground. This is a very important aspect of our, um, uh, you know, th this, is, this is what is a very important aspect of this, tonight's story. Is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked him to throw it in the ground and he said, okay, فَأَلْقَاهَا He threw it down as ordered. فَإِذَا هِيَ حَيَّةٌ Then suddenly it was a living snake slithering rapidly. Tas'a means to slither rapidly. Hayya, a living snake. Uh, some places it's mentioned Thu'ban and Mubin. Hayya has been mentioned, Jan has been mentioned, and Thu'ban has been mentioned. Three words for snake have been mentioned in the story of Musa. Hayya and Jan are similar, very quick and fast and slithering. Thu'ban is a massive serpent. Oh, this is the only place Thu'ban has been mentioned is when Musa threw the staff in front of the magicians. 
So when he threw the staff in front of the magicians, he didn't just become a small slithering snake. It became a massive serpent that just ended up what? We began to just eat up all the rest of the snakes. Okay. So when Musa saw this, that this, this staff has turned into a snake, he said, Allah told him, Khudha, seize it. And have no fear. Have no fear. means to return it back. We will return the staff back, or we will return the snake back. Sirataha. Sira is your its state. State. Al-Ula, former state. So what was its former state? It was a stick. So this snake will once again turn into a uh, will turn in will turn into the snake will turn into this stick. And now we'll uh, the, uh, the next part, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, Wadmum yadaka ila janahik. He says, now press your hand against your armpit. Take your hand, put it inside your armpit. Like this. Put it in your hand, put it inside your armpit. Now after that, takhruj. When you pull your hand out, takhruj baydaa. It will come forth radiant and white. Min su. Sometimes a person has a skin disease because of which he loses pigment. No, that's not the case over here. The hand that will come out of your armpit shining and white, it's not because it's loose pigmentation. Without blemish, without any blemish. What, what's this about? Ayat and ukhra, this is another sign. Basically, it's like a bright as sun, bright as a, as a flashlight. You pull out your hand and people are going to be amazed. Like, what happened? Where did this come from? Why am I doing this? So that we may show you of our greatest signs. So we may show you of our greatest signs. Notice here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to Musa one-on-one. -on -one. And is doing a practice run of his miracles. There's no one here to show. This is our miracles. But he's teaching him how these miracles were run. Because you need to know what you're equipped with before you go outside yourself. If you don't believe, or rather I should say, if you don't know what you've got, and you don't believe what you've got, how are you going to be able to convince anyone? So for Muslims, before we start giving da'wah or have a desire for da'wah, learn our deen first. And have conviction in the veracity of our deen, in the truthfulness of our deen. Know all the ins and outs of your salah, ins and outs of dua. And when you have trust in Allah and trust in dua, trust in salah, then your words won't, is not what changes the hearts of the people. It is the conviction in what you're saying that changes the hearts of the people. You hire someone to speak and he just he speaks because you told him to speak. You know, it's like a guy who's been speaking on gunpoint because he's held as a hostage. Who's going to believe what he's got to say? That's what it is. If we don't believe in what we're giving da'wah towards, the, it, will not, it will fall on deaf ears. If you want change, we want change within people, some say, How do, what's the best way to give da'wah on TikTok? The best way, I told this brother who asked me last week, is to delete it and go learn some Islam first. Right? That's what you got to do. That's the best way to learn, teach others, is to delete this type of apps. We stop wasting time, stop engaging with people there, and focus on on learning ilm first. Uh, you know, so it's great that we have this desire to give da'wah. But Allah, you know, you can do it with your person who's riding the bus with you, the person you buy coffee from, definitely invite him to the masjid, etc. That's great. Most importantly, the da'wah needs to be done through your character. Uh, but when we go out on all engaging with people and we're not prepared, we end up unfortunately sometimes ourselves doubting what happened because of what we heard. And we're not, we're not prepared. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prepared Musa salam with the miracles before he ended up sending him out.
another thing you learn from these, this conversation is that you are allowed to sometimes respond more than you've been asked if you think, if you feel there's some benefit. What was the reason Musa والسلام, did this? Because he wanted to prolong his conversation um, with, the, uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so alhamdulillah, we have Qur'an, we have salah. When we recite Qur'an in salah, we are communicating with Allah. Right? So we can prolong it as, as long as we wish. And we wonder, how does someone stay, stand there you know, for, for, this, for, for this long? How are they able to read three Jews? Nabi alayhi salatu would read sometimes six Jews in one rakah. Right? Surah Al-Baqarah, Al-Imran, Nisa, and Ma'idah, all within the first rakah. How does that happen? When you are speaking to Allah, you're enjoying it so much, time, pass, time flies. When you're having fun, time flies. So when you're speaking with Allah, may Allah grant you and I that the ladha, the enjoyment of speaking with Allah. May Allah grant us the yaqeen. When you and I stand up for a prayer, we are actually speaking to Allah and Allah is hearing us. I mean, when that comes into us, then it's easy for us to lengthen our prayers. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to lengthen my prayers until I get there. This is also a very common question. That, oh, what if I'm not enjoying my salah? What should I do? Salah is not meant for enjoyment. Salah is not some candy that you eat for the sake of enjoyment. Salah is there for the ibadah of Allah. Whether you enjoy it or not, whether it's filled with emotions or not, you got to do it. What, how, what is the, uh, the way we're going to move forward closer to Allah? By continuity. Sometimes continuously doing things when you don't want to do it, forces you to, it, 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 it inspires you and it gives you a stronger level of iman. When you don't want to do something, but for Allah's sake you're doing it. You're, there's no apparent enjoyment, but for Allah's sake you're doing it. Then subhanAllah, Tanwi says sometimes when a person does ibadah, when he's not feeling it, he'll actually get more reward than people who do ibadah and they're enjoying it. There's another person shaking his head, crying. He's enjoying it. And I look at you and I look at that person and say, wow man, that's amazing. But you're sitting there, you're not crying, you're grumpy, you're upset, you don't want to pray, you don't want to come to the masjid, and now you're, you're making your full four rakat isha, and multiple sunnats, and your witr, and nafil. After 15 minutes you go home. And you didn't cry a second, you didn't feel any goosebumps for a second, you didn't feel like anything special, any, any newer coming from anywhere. But you did it you end up actually possibly getting more from that salah than someone who was sitting there crying. You never know. Why? Because you, he was crying, he was enjoying Because we know crying in salah, crying in dua is very enjoyable, very nice. You don't want to stop when those tears start flowing. But when, you're not, when you don't have any of that and you force yourself to do it, then what happens? There is, there is no reason you're doing it besides to please Allah. So that's real high-level ikhlas. High-level ikhlas. There's no help for the nafs there. The nafs can't even get a chance to enjoy that. Right, okay, so this is um, one of the things. What else we see here? The Musa alayhi salatu wasalam, he says, I've got more benefits in this staff. He says that Musa alayhi salatu wasalam said this because he's like, oh, I'm sorry, maybe I overspoke. I should just stop. Okay, so let me not list all the benefits I have with my staff. Let me just say, I have more benefits. Hence, if you want to inquire more, you can just ask. So this is a method of engaging with people. That when they ask you something basic, if you feel that they were benefited by a larger answer, a more detailed answer, give it to them. But you don't have to throw everything at them. You can say, I have more details. Is this enough? It gives me an, a thought just came to me right now. My Ustad, Mawlana Riyad, one of my teachers who taught me hadith when I was studying in Pakistan. He mentioned to me about his Ustad, Mawlana Musa Khan Bazi, Rahmatullahi Alayhi. Mawlana Musa Khan Bazi, remember this name. Mawlana Musa Khan Bazi, Rahmatullahi Alayhi. So he was mentioning about his ustad. He said in Bukhari Dars, he would sit and teach us Bukhari Sharif. And he would say, he would going through a hadith, he would say, 
Okay, this is the first, this is the first objection on this hadith. And then he, would, he said, this is an objection on the hadith, and he would say, this is the first answer. And he said, I'll be writing the first answer. They say, this is the second answer. I'll write the second answer. This is the third answer. This is the fourth answer. Very typical for him to give between 30 to 40 answers to every objection in class. So Mulana was saying, but he was known to be a sahibul kashf. Very famous for that. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would inspire him with many things. Ilham and kashf, we're going to come through that too. For example, where am I referring this to? This is referring to Musa salam's mother. Allah says, Musa. We inspired Musa mother. She didn't receive Jibreel, I mean. This is called kashf. This is called wahi ilham. This is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires your heart with something. So he would get into a lot of inspiration. So Mulana Riyaz says that one day I was writing and I, we came to like the 35th answer and then a thought came to me. And mashallah, those students of those times were different. They didn't stop writing. They would continue to write. Alright, so he said, a thought came to me in my 35th, 36th, like, man, like why, when is this going to stop? And he said, as soon as I said that, immediately he said, there are some of us who think that when, is he, when am I going to stop? Right? And what you don't understand is, you, the, the, the opposite party will give you an answer for one. They'll give an answer for two. They'll answer for three. They'll answer for four. But if you get up to 40, then you've really kind of broken their back. You know? So he said, that's why I'm giving you continuous answers. This is one of the things the ilm he had. Uh, amma ba'd. Have you all heard in the khutbah, Amma ba'd? Yes? Amma ba'd. Right? So he did the grammatical structure of Amma ba'd. In, in those of students of Arabic would know, is it a mubtada, is it a khabar, is it mosuf, is it sifa, is it ma'tuf, is it ma'tuf, is it mumayyas, tamiz, all the different sentence, the way you, the, 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 the grammar of a sentence is mentioned or explained. So he came up with over, I'm not exaggerating, over a million ways of tarkib for ammabad. Over a million. Not in say 100,000, not in say 1,000. Over a million ways of to do the tarkib of Amma Ba'd. He has um, a whole book dedicated to hundreds of answers. And Allah Salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad kama sallit ala Ibrahim wa ala Ibrahim in Nakhamidu Majid. Question is, why are we comparing Rasulullah sending salutations upon the Prophet to sending salutations upon Ibrahim You say, you are like so and so. If I say, Zaydun kal Asad, Zayd is like a lion. Which one is stronger, Zayd or Asad? The lion is stronger, right? That's why you're comparing Zayd to the lion. When you compare someone with someone else, you are like, you know, so-and-so basketball player. It means obviously he's the ultimate. And you are, you know, almost there. So he said, why are we saying, Ya Allah, send salutations upon Ibrahim upon Prophet the way you send upon Ibrahim When Rasulullah is the ultimate model and the ultimate human being. He wrote a whole thick book on this. Hundreds of answers on this. And he is one of the few individuals who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed with in the world, which was well known, well known in the entire country of Pakistan when he passed away 15 years ago or so, that for months, months and months, fragrance could be smelled from his grave. For months, everyone came and smelled it. It was a well known, not some you know, story like that. Everyone knew in Lahore when he was buried, one of Musa Khan Bazi his, his um, you know, grave for everyone could be able to smell. Another incident my teacher mentioned to me, when the, and this is though, you know, students of knowledge will benefit from this tremendously, and all of us sitting here too, because we are students of knowledge, is that the first day of the final year of the Alam course, the Dawratul Hadith, the final year, the seventh, eighth year of the Alam program where you study Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Nasa, Ibn Majah, Abu Dawud, all the books of Hadith. He came into the class, all right, brothers, listen to this story. He comes into class, 
and he looks at all the students who are sitting there to learn from him hadith on the final year. And he looks at them and he says, I see certain faces amongst you are bright and lit, and I see some of your faces are very sullen and dark. It's not the ones that didn't put cream that day, no. Right? So, then he said, a time will come during this year that there will be a switch. That some of the faces that were bright and full of nur will have become dark and sullen. And will have become lost of nur. And some of those faces that, were, that had dhulma and darkness in them, they will change and they will be filled with nur. That's all he extended. And we're like, wow, that's a very deep statement. He said the year was moving on. Halfway or three-fourths of the year, one day he came to class. He looked at us and he said, the day has come. The day has come where the switch has been made. Not all of them, but some of them. Why? Because there were people who attended the dars who really spiritually were very weak. All of us are attending in the dars. No matter, Allah knows what state I'm in, what state you're in. We may be very spiritually weak, we may be coming with extremely darkened hearts, which, are, which is expressed through a darkened face that the awliya can see. We can't see that. We can't even see it in the mirror. But a wali of Allah, who Allah inspires, can evil, e able to see the darkened face, the dhulma and the evil of sin. Believe it or not, this is not some random stories you're saying I'm pulling out from somewhere. Uthman ibn Affan, of course, Sahabi, Khalifatul Muslimin. He is sitting in a gathering like this, giving, give, speaking. And then a person, some people walk in and they sit, and then he gets angry. He says, Why do people attend my gathering with zina dropping from their eyes? With the effects of zina drooping from their eyes. More than likely, this is zina of the eye, right? Looking at someone without, who is not your spouse and coming onto the majlis. But immediately, Uthman anhu could sense that, that there are people. And he probably actually knew who it was too when he walked in, but he didn't want to pinpoint. And he just mentioned, why are people coming to my gathering here with zina dropping from their eyes? So this is something from the earliest era that the awliya and the ulama and the sulaha would be able to sense things of this sort. Like a mom. A mother who sees her child, she's able to read his face. She's able to read her face. A mother is very, she's got that sixth sense. No one is able to explain what that is. I don't think medically we can explain what that is. But definitely mothers have a sense. To the extent if a child is in, in danger, many mothers will feel it. And that later on in the evening when they meet, they'll find out exactly at the time when the mother felt that sense of uneasiness, exactly at that time the child was going through danger. This is something so many people have experienced. So that's, if, that, if that exists between a mother and a son, similarly exists between a sheikh and a student, similarly between awliya and the general community. So, so what is he saying? That there are people who come into the dars of hadith and they come with a lot of darkness in their, in their chest or in their heart because of sins, which is now expressed over the face. But because of continuous attendance to the dars of hadith, sitting in the gathering of, of, of qala Allah, qala Rasul, what happens? Their hearts and eventually their faces, of course, get washed away. The filth goes away and now the nur of hadith, the nur of Qur'an replaces that darkness. And that shift is happening. On the flip side of it, there are people who come to gatherings of knowledge like this or more extended gatherings of knowledge. They come in good form, good shape, with nur in their hearts and nur in their faces. But due to the disrespect of this gathering, due to the disrespect of hadith that they're studying, due to the disrespect of tafsir that they're studying, due to the respect, disrespect of the tools of knowledge, be it the one who's giving that knowledge, sharing that knowledge, or even be it disrespect to paper, pen, book, desk, and the place in the classroom you are studying in. All of these factors end up becoming a reason for a person to become deprived and actually start going downward. That they, it would have been better that they didn't show up. Because since they showed up and they started showing things, showing disrespect to knowledge, what happened? That little nur that they had, or a lot of nur they had, unfortunately is removed, and now darkness is, is creeping in. Very scary indeed.
And so I mentioned, subhanAllah, uh, uh, this, I, this thought just came to my mind right now but, um, uh, about Mullah uh, Musa Khan Bazi and what's so amazing. I forgot exactly. I connected it with something here. We, were, we just read something and I, I remember that part. I don't remember what it was. But Mullah um, Musa Khan Bazi, he passed away 15 years ago. You've, how many of you have heard of him? Any of you heard of his name? Okay, mashallah, one person, subhanAllah. So you will be blessed this weekend. This retreat, you will be blessed. His son will be visiting us. Alright? So inshallah, his son will be arriving Saturday morning, inshallah, and will be here with us Saturday, Sunday, and Monday he'll be leaving. And he's going to be delivering, he speaks fluent English too, in Urdu. But I asked him, I requested him to speak in a talk, give a talk in Urdu. So he'll be speaking in Urdu, inshallah, after Asr on Saturday. Uh, talk on Shafa'ah. I think his schedule is up. I think so. I'm not sure. I think it's after Asr. But it's on, on the inter intercession. And he'll be addressing the ulama on Sunday. We'll have a special ulama gathering he'll be addressing. So definitely don't want to miss out things like this. Right? You want to be able to come. You want your children to sit and listen. You want to meet, greet. And, and you know, even if as someone said, even if 1% a, a of what his father had moves into the son. Like all of us have at least a percent of our dads, don't we? Right? Inshallah, more than that. These are people you want to shake hands with and you want to be able to really uh, sit in their company, subhanAllah. And I asked him when he sits with the ulama, and I'm going to ask him maybe even the general community too, that he shares um, some amazing stories, insights of his father. So there's a beautiful article that was shared uh, earlier today and I'm going to, on one group, and let me just share with you all who are listening to the tafsir and you guys can read up uh, on that. It is Hayatul Ulama. I don't know how to... Okay, I'm just going to give you the, your, the link here. Can you, what is that? You can put it on the chat or something? Yeah? Hayatululama.wordpress Right? Dot com It's on that website Hayatululama H-A-Y-A-T-U-L-A-M-A Dot wordpress Hayatululama Hayatululama means what? The lives of the ulama Dot wordpress dot com And the name of it is Maulana Musa Al-Ruhani Maulana Musa Al-Ruhani Al-Bazi That's his name So you can read about him over there It is like a living What you say? A living miracle of Allah, of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, grants people knowledge that is beyond us. Uh, ajib. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, oh yes, I, the reason I was saying is, the long, sometimes you can go real long, can go sometimes or short. So Musa alayhi salatu salam is telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I mentioned, I mentioned this, but maybe I should stop here, with the adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mullah Musa said, no, if I gotta go, I'm gonna go all out. 40 answers, 50 answers, 1,000 answers for everything that we have there. So now when you, when you have this miracle of the staff changing into a snake, what happens? Musa salam gets naturally scared. And what we need to understand from that is, um, um, uh, what we need to understand from that is, this is a very big portion of our story of Musa alayhi salam is that do not believe what your eyes make you see what you see is not reality <laughs> so we have we we know virtual reality before virtual reality came around okay we've talked we talk about virtual reality we talk about the jal we talk about all that stuff we have something else we say everything is what Allah wants it to be everything is what Allah wants it to be not what my eyes see. And you, we, we say this, eyes can deceive. A lady comes to Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, where's my son? Where's my son? He went with you in jihad. He went for a hud with you. He said, he's gone. He's passed away, shaheed. But I can see him in Jannah. 
let me make dua, Allah will remove the veils and I will be able to show you your son right now in Jannah. What's the answer? My eyes can deceive me, your words can never be wrong. I don't need it. If you said it, done deal. If you said it, that my son is in Jannah, khalas, it's more important and more believable to me than my eyes. And so we say, looks are deceiving. Eyes can deceive you. Mirage, what's all that about? You see something which is not there. So this is part of what we're taught. And now with the whole virtual reality, with the goggles and all that stuff that we're heading towards, it's 100% fake. You're seeing things, interacting things, everything which doesn't exist. So that just proves the point. That eyes can deceive you, ears can deceive you, mind can deceive you. The answer should be, is whatever Allah wants this to be, is what it is. Not what it seems to be. And Musa's story is filled with that. Starting off with the staff. What does it do for you? Oh, this is such an amazing thing for me. It helps me in this manner, it helps me in that manner, it helps me in this manner. Okay, guess what? I threw it on the ground, it becomes now a snake which I'm scared of. Oh, what happened about the snake being so helpful to you? What about, what about the aspect of the snake being such an amazing partner to you? What happened? Why are you running away from this? My friend, the snake, the staff is nothing. The staff cannot harm you, nor can it benefit you. This is the most important part of this whole lesson right here. The snake, the staff cannot harm you or benefit you. If Allah wants, He makes it, to a, he makes it into a beneficial staff in, in one instant. And another instant, He can make it, to you and make it into a harmful snake. But harm and benefit are not in the hands of the staff or the snake. Just like the snake, just like the staff is lifeless, so is the snake lifeless. Both will only be able to harm you or benefit you only with Allah wills. This is so important for us to really soak in. Nothing can harm us and nothing can benefit us besides Allah. Allah is the only one who gives, He's the only one who withholds, He's the one who only benefits, He's the only one who harms. My beloved friends, when that yaqeen comes into us, then we will not be awestruck by any thing that the enemy puts in front of us. And we will not be excited by what, I, by what our friends present in front of us. Everything will take it with a grain of salt. It is what it is. I'm not going to get impressed by anything. And I'm not going to get afraid by anything, from anything. Everything is whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it to be. <clears throat> and move on with the story. There's many examples of this. But Musa alayhi salam, he comes to the, the story of the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 where the Musa alayhi salam's nations need. The tribes of Bani Israel need. They are, they are stuck at the ocean in front of us. Fir'aun behind. He takes the same staff and he hits the water. Allah says, Wadrib al bahr." What is this going to do? I have Fir'aun's army rushing behind me. I've got my people saying, Inna lamudrakun, we're caught, we're caught. We told you, we should have never followed you. And I got the ocean in front. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say just run, just jog, just swim. I'll make you all learn how to swim instantaneously. Nope. Allah says, take a stick and hit the water. How, what is this going to do? What is a stick hitting off the water? As soon as he does that, the entire water turns into land. And not only that, it becomes into 12 pathways. And the 12 pathways got huge waves as walls in between. And each of the 12 tribes or sub-tribes go into their specific uh, hallway or, or, or pathway 
So they're all, they're all talking to their own family. Hey, you guys, you're there. They're talking. But at the same time, what if you're just alone? You get scared. Is, is my whole family going to go drown? Then you look to your right and you look to your left. They're, they're walls, but they're see-through walls. So you can see that the rest of the nations are also, the rest of the tribes are also traveling with you. So it gives everyone a peace of mind. So what, now what did we learn? Oh, I learned this new magic trick here. The stick can turn water into solid uh, uh, stone. Okay. Now, move forward into the story. A time comes where they need water. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't tell them, go dig a well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, don't go, go, I'll go to a lake and go get water from there. Allah says, فَضْرِبْ بِعَصَاكَ الْحَجَرِ Take the same stick, and now I told you Bahar and Hajar, how they rhyme. Bahar and Hajar. Bahar was ocean. Hajar now hit the uh, hit a boulder. Ya Allah, why would I hit a boulder? I might as well hit the ground to get some water off the ground. Why am I going to hit a boulder? What is a boulder going to do? If anything, the boulder will break my staff. Allah says, just do it. He didn't say this, obviously. I'm saying this. Musa didn't respond to say, oh, why should I do that? 12 different springs burst out of there. Not one, because you're all going to fight on that. Two, three, you're going to fight on that. 12 different ones for 12 different tribes. And now we learn another trick. That now the stick has the ability to make ocean water into solid ground. And now another trick is to make the solid stone into water. And the answer is, no. The stick can do whatever Allah wants. It's not trick number one, trick number two, trick number three. The stick of Musa, no. All sticks in the world can do whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants them to accomplish. All sticks. Today in Hadith, in Tirmidhi Sharif, or Mishkat Sharif, we covered a Hadith. Two companions of the Prophet ﷺ came to make mashwara and speak to Rasulullah ﷺ. By the time they finished speaking to him, it got late at night. And they had to go walk back home. These are not prophets. These are two sahaba. They are two companions. And as they're walking back, what happens? One of them, who was walking, his staff, his stick became lit up with light. Yesterday we did this in Hadith, in Mishkat Sharif. And he started walking, and the other one walked along with him. In the night, because they had no lantern. Once that got completed, and they came to a juncture, a T-junction, where one sahabi had to go one direction, and the other sahabi had to go the other direction, because their houses were in different directions. Guess what happened? They lit the one who, whose light was not on, on his stick, he lit it from the other one. And they both went in their opposite directions, with their staff lit with light. Until they got home. This is not fake. Laysa bi agali. This is true. This is, called the, this is called the karama. That was called the mu'ajiza. This is called the karama. They're both the same thing. Meaning, any uh, supernatural event that takes place at the hands of a prophet is called mu'ajiza. A supernatural event that happens at the hands of a believer who follows his prophet is called a karama. And just like mu'ajiza are, are true, karama are also true. Can we all have karamat? Yes? Okay, there you go. So we have karama. Karama will only come if you follow sunnah. Now not to say you try to, go follow, you try to demand karama from Allah. It may not happen. But deep down we have to have this firm belief that my stick can do what Musa Salaam's stick did. And not just stick, anything. Anything I need, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide for me. Nothing is as it seems. Whatever apparently, that snake, the snake was apparently harmful. Allah showed us, nope. What apparently is going to harm you, is going to only harm you if Allah wills it to harm you. And if you're not going to get harmed, 
then you can be Khalid ibn Walid who's running towards death with his chest wide open saying, death, come take me. I want to die as a shaheed. One battle, second battle, third battle, fourth battle. Tens of battles. And what are his odds? 60 versus 60,000. One man per thousand. That's how he's fighting. One man a thousand. Hoping that eventually I'm going to die as a martyr. When death is not meant to you for you on a battlefield, you're just not going to die in the battlefield. No matter how many swords come at you, no matter how many spears come at you, he died in his bed. But there is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, whoever asks martyrdom out of, with sincerity, Allah will give him the reward of the martyrs, even if he dies in his bed. That's a very important, beautiful hadith for us to remember. If we ask for amazing things, including martyrdom, and we don't get even at anywhere near it, Allah will give us the reward for it simply based on our intention. So, another question is, is it natural to be afraid of things? Or is this, are we not supposed to be afraid? We're supposed to, is this bad to be afraid? If, you're, if, you're, if your spouse tells you, go man, go check out, there's some noise outside, go check it out. Like, oh, I'm not sure. So I, do you have a right for, you know, to, can we call you out and say you're a coward? So fear of things, of harmful things is natural. You know, uh, that, that helps us protect us from a lot of harmful things. A child doesn't have a sense of fear, right? And that's many children, little kids, toddlers. And they end up, harming themselves immensely because they don't mind crossing the street. They don't mind playing with the knives. They don't mind climbing to heights because they have no sense of fear, which actually is a very harmful thing. The absence of fear to that level is very harmful. You'll end up, you'll end up shortening your life or, or you know, breaking bones. So having fear within us is a very beneficial thing. So this is called tabi'i fear. This is natural fear. Musa alayhi his fear is mentioned in the Quran, in the story, multiple places. Allah says, La taqaf, don't be afraid. Okay? Uh, and, and things of that sort. Uh, what else happened? Wallah mudbiran. When he saw the snake, he turned around running. Now, see, how is uh, this natural? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wakan al insanu, wa al insanu da'ifa. Human being has been created weak. Allah says, Inna al insana khuliqa halu'a, idha masahu sharu jazu'a, idha masahu khayru manu'a. The human being is created so weak and you know, uh, wishy-washy. When evil afflicts him, he loses hope and he starts crying. What happened? What happened? When, when problems come his way, he loses his focus. He loses his cool. He loses his cool. He has no control over himself. And he starts throwing a tantrum. Yeah? Throwing a tantrum when things don't go the way you want. And when good things come your way, he becomes all of a sudden stingy and says, ah, it's all mine. All mine. Nothing for anyone else. He says, how quickly you changed. Yesterday you were screaming and crying. How come I don't have money? How come I don't have this? And you're getting, throwing such a fit. Today Allah gave you a, some good money. All of a sudden, why is it that everything has changed? So this is, The human being is very fast-paced. He makes decisions without thinking. So these are things that tell us that fear is natural. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Musa alayhi Go to Fir'aun, indeed he has transgressed. Oh. If there was absolutely no hope in Fir'aun, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have sent him. It would be abath, it would be useless. From Musa alayhi perspective, and for the world's perspective, this is a worthy cause. In the knowledge of Allah, he was not going to get hidayah, we know that. But in the, in the, for the benefit of the people and for the benefit of Musa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him to speak to Fir'aun. Very interesting ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says regarding the disbelievers, upon whom 
Allah has already sealed their hearts and they're not meant to gain hidayah because of this mistakes and the sins they have done. Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah, سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمْ أَأَنذَرْتَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُنذِرْهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمْ It's the same for them. Whether you warn them or you do not warn them, they will never believe. Now what ulama say, very beautiful point, they say Allah did not say سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْكَ It's the same for you. Whether you warn them or you don't warn them, they're not going to believe. Because it's not the same for you. You inviting these people who are destined to go to hell, and you not inviting them is a big difference. You will spiritually get closer to Allah by da'wah. You will spiritually get closer to Allah by making dua before they die for Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab and all the other leaders of the Quraysh who didn't accept Islam. Rasulullah was meant to invite them and make effort for them and pray for their hidayah. Because making effort and making dua of hidayah for everyone is beneficial for the da'i, beneficial for the inviter. Whether that person is going to benefit or not, that is in the knowledge of Allah. So Allah is saying that it makes no difference to them, whether you invite them or not. But it definitely does make a difference to you, whether you invite them or not. So we can never write off anyone that I've invited them too many times. That's why I've been telling my friends and all of you here, I said this upcoming retreat this weekend, I said make a list of 20 people. Make a list of 20 people. And that you're going to invite those 20 beloved friends, relatives of yours to this upcoming retreat that starts on Friday afternoon. Now out of that 20, if not a single one comes, you are still successful. You are way ahead of someone who didn't make a single phone call. Because Allah utilized you to connect 20 families with Him. And that's an honor you should feel. You're special. You are walking on the footsteps of the prophets. You are walking in the footsteps of the prophets. If you have the desire and the willpower and the, and, and, and the, 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 the motivation to say, I'm not going to just attend masjid programs on my own. I'm going to attend and I'm going to invite others. I see a lot of new faces, mashallah, today. Your new faces here are because obviously someone invited you. Otherwise you wouldn't be sitting here. So your sitting here is because of someone's effort. Someone's effort. So this is something we need to understand is never write off anyone. I heard an amazing story last night from one of my students. He said, you know, you always tell us to invite people. And, this, and, uh, and so that's what I did. I went back to my old phone book and finding old friends. And I found a friend who had kind of left and strayed away from the deen. Big time. And now just recently he's trying to do a comeback. You know, towards the deen. And I messaged him and he and subhanAllah, this brother is so far away, the nearest airport is three hours away. And from that airport, he looked at the tickets as $1,000 to come this weekend. Okay, what would you do if you're in that situation? This brother didn't give up. He's booking a bus, a seven hour bus to one city. And from there, taking another 14 or 15 hour bus to come here. By the time he's going to be over 25 hours, oh, well over 25 hours, it will be his bus ride to come here. May Allah facilitate it for him, say Ameen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow him to make, allow this journey to become the best, most amazing, life-changing journey for him. And all those like him who are trying to come for this retreat, may Allah remove all the obstacles and barriers for them and allow them to gain way more than what they expect. Like Musa alayhi salam, he expected to get fire and he got noor. May Allah allow these people who are coming for the basketball tournament, volleyball tournament, barbecue, uh, bonfire, or meeting up with friends. These are small things. But may Allah get them the noor of iman. Say Ameen. What a beautiful dua this is. May Allah give all of us the noor of iman. 
Every day, tonight, and this upcoming retreat allow us to gain way more than we're expecting. So, so never ever write off anyone. This is what I'm trying to say. Some benefit will come. Some benefit will have to, have to come. Allah says, إِنَّهُ تَغَى He's transgressed all, all the boundaries. What's the response? Okay, I'm asking all of you to do the same thing. Give da'wah, give da'wah. So what, what, what is the response you're going to get? What, what should you do? No, where do I start from? The first thing you start from is dua. The first thing you do is dua. قَالَ رَبِّ الشَّحْلِي صَدْرِي Oh Allah, my Lord, open for me my heart. Now right now, I asked you how many people to invite? Huh? 20. 20, 20, right? So now, some of us, if I say who's ready, maybe I'll get 10 names. The rest of us will say, ah, we won't raise our hands. Why wouldn't we raise our hand? Because we haven't bought into it yet. We haven't bought into it. So if you don't buy into something, you can't do it. How do you buy yourself into something? Ask Allah. Rabbi Shahli Sadri. Oh Allah, inspire my heart to do this. Inspire me. I know I shouldn't be doing this. It sounds very logical. It sounds very Islamic. It sounds very right thing to do. But I just feel lazy. I just feel like I don't want to do it. So what are you supposed to do when you don't want to do something? Many of you want to join the one-year program. Many of you want to come with the summer intensive. Many of you want to come spend more time in Darussalam. Many of the alumni want to connect. But I don't feel like doing it. Okay, where do I start? Where do I start? Rabbi Shahli Sadri. Ya Allah, expand my heart. Open my heart. Allow me to allow this idea that's being presented to, to, to take root in me. That's the number one thing. Meaning, you can't make a move until you're actually, actually uh, buy into something. Okay, number two. amri. The second thing is, you have to uh, ask Allah to make affairs, your, you make your mission easy. You might say, I don't have 20 friends. Okay, that's, obviously, obviously, come on, just look what you just said. You don't have 20 friends? I don't believe that. Your mom and dad together, you and your mom, dad, siblings together don't have 20 friends? No, nope. that's incorrect. But again, you say, I bought into it, but I don't know where to start from. Again, turn to Allah. Yassirli amri. Ya Allah, make my mission easy for me. I know I should be doing this. I don't even know where to start. Please guide me. What should I do? Some of you have a mission. You want to start a non-for-profit and you want to help XYZ people in the world, in the community. So where do I start? Ah, this is the dua to start. This is the dua to start every presentation at work. This is the dua to start before you give every khutbah, every khatira at home or in the masjid. And this is the dua before you embark on any big thing or small thing. Oh Allah, allow me to fully understand the gravity of what I'm about to do. Allow me to buy into it. And number two, allow all the pieces of the puzzle to fall into place. Beautiful dua to start up our meetings with. amri. And then release the knot from my tongue. So that they understand my words. How apt this dua is for the work I just gave you. You say, I don't know what to talk. I don't know what to say. Man, this is the first time I'm hearing this. What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to speak? I, 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 I stutter. I don't, I, my thoughts don't fly. I, don't know, I'm don't, I haven't memorized more than one hadith. I don't have much verses of the Quran. I know the, talk, the whole retreat is about the day of judgment, death, dying, paradise, uh, you know, uh, 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 tour of paradise, tour of hellfire, the first night in the grave, uh, intercession, the bridge over Jahannam, the Hawdi Kothar. But like, I don't know how to say that. Mashallah, you know what? I'll just give all the numbers to you. Right? I don't know how to do that. How do you answer that? Ask Allah. We may not actively be diagnosed with some stuttering problem, a speech impediment, but when it comes to speaking about the deen, many of us end up having this short-lived speech impediment where we can't speak about Allah. 
We'll speak for one and a half hour about car exhausts. We'll talk about, you will talk about, you know, steer systems. We'll talk about baseball and basketball and football commentary. Like no tomorrow. As though this is one of the, not one, it's all three questions of the grave are going to be about this. One about NFL, one about NHL, one about NBA, you know, us. So much emphasis on that. MashaAllah, going on and on. But brother, how about you tell me about who is the God you worship? Five minutes, speak to me about the greatness of Allah. Quiet. Because we've got nothing to say. All of a sudden, we get overwhelmed with the sleepiness. Brother, you can do that. No, you can't. You need to do that. Because he's just not my God or his God. He's your God. Why? How can we be worshiping someone that we can't speak for five minutes about? What does that tell you? The level of knowledge we have of him. And if we don't have that level of knowledge, what does that tell you about the love we will have of Him? Because there's no way we're going to love Him if we don't know Him. That's why speaking about our Allah and speaking about the deen is lazim, is important. Because this will create love of Allah within ourselves. Love of our deen within ourselves. Whether anyone listens to us or not is secondary. You got to keep on talking. You got to keep on inviting. You got to keep on messaging. Forget whoever Allah gives hidayat, they give hidayat. No one, gave, no one got hidayat through a text message or a flyer. Remember that. No one got hidayah through a talk. They got hidayah through Allah. There's no one who is more eloquent, no one more powerful, no one more spiritual than our Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam. How many millions or hundreds of thousands of people heard his message face to face? They saw miracles with their own eyes. They saw the splitting of the moon. They saw the tree talking. They saw the water flowing out of the fingers. Yet, they refused to accept Islam. Because hidayah doesn't come through man. Indeed, you cannot guide whoever you love, O Rasulullah, but Allah is the one who guides. So don't attribute success of your efforts towards yourself. And do not become despondent and disheartened by the apparent failure of your efforts. As soon as you make the effort, you're already successful. Remember my words, as soon as you make that text message or call, you're already successful. You've done your job. Now you simply make dua. Ya Allah, all the people I communicated and contacted, soften their hearts and allow my message to reach Reach them and allow them to understand that. So if we, when we are embarking on the da'wah part, ask Allah to untie the knot. Why you want this to happen? يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي So that they understand my words. I want Fir'aun and his army and his people to understand my speech. And Musa as you have heard, had a, had a speech impediment. So he's asking Allah, please, Allow me to speak fluently and properly so that they understand. Okay, one thing before we move on to that part. Ulama have said something beautiful here. They say, Al-Fasahatul Jinan, La Fasahatul Lisan. He says that, uh, that the more important, the more most important eloquence is the eloquence of the heart, not the eloquence of the Hearts do not change by tongues. Hearts change by hearts. Remember that. Hearts change by hearts. Hearts do not change by tongue. The tongue is a simple spokesperson of the heart. But the actual one that does the work is the heart. This is something very deep. If a person sits and does dhikr of Allah for 30 minutes, cries to Allah, and then speaks, or then messages, or then calls, or speaks to his spouse, speaks to his children. You will see the effect of that is going to be far superior than someone is watching stuff, random stuff, and then goes ahead and speaks. Once a, uh, a wa'ad, someone who simply gives advice, was giving some, a speech, and a grammarian was sitting there, 
And he noticed that this scholar, or this person who's giving a speech, Wa'ith, is making grammar, grammatical mistakes. So he told him, he said, Akhtata, you have made a mistake. Sorry, look at you. First fix the way you're speaking. So, and he, he basically, retro, he, he, he shamed him in front of all the students. So this person was giving the piece of advice. He said, Ayyuhal mu'aridu fi aqwalih, allahinu fi af'ali, akullu hadha li anni rafa'tu wa nasabtu wa khafadtu wa jazamtu, فَهَلَّا رَفَعْتَ إِلَى اللَّهِ يَدَيْكَ بِالدُّعَاءِ وَنَصَبْتَ عَيْنَيْكَ ذِكْرَ الْمَمَاتِ وَخَفَضْتَ نَفْسَكَ عَنِ الشَّهَوَاتِ وَجَزَمْتَهَا عَنْ فِعْلِ الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ أَفَلَا تَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا يُقَالُ لِلْمُسِيءِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ لِمَا لَمْ تَكُنْ فَصِيحًا مُعْرِبًا وَإِنَّمَا يُقَالُ لَهُ لِمَا كُنْتَ عَاصِيًا مُذْنِبًا وَلَوْ كَانَ الْأَمْرُ بِالْفَصَاحَةِ لَجَعَلَ اللَّهُ الرِّسَالَةَ فِي هَارُونَ وَلَمْ يَجْعَلْهَا فِي مُوسَى سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ So he responded by saying you are making fun of my speaking speaking of fatha dhamma kasra and he said in a very beautiful, eloquent, eloquent manner that we don't have time to get into. And he said, why don't you instead utilize that time to, to lift, instead of talking about, you know, Rafa Dhamma, Fatha Dhamma, Fatha is to open or to put a, uh, put a zabar as we call. So instead of that, and Rafa is put a Dhamma, Pesh, and also means to lift. He said, why don't you do Rafa of your hands towards Dua? And uh, when a sabta, you talk about Nasaba means to put a zabar and also means to, uh, what you call, uh, to place something in front of you. He said, Why don't you place the discussion of death in front of your eyes? And khafada means to put a kasra, a zair, or to lower something. And lower yourself from, from falling into the trap of lustful desires. And then jazam is to put a sukun, right? Jazam. Uh, and jazam also means to take a firm determination away from something. He said, Why don't you determine yourself to not to fall into haram? And then he told him, do you not know that on the day of judgment, the one who, who, who makes mistakes, he will not be told, why were you not eloquent in your language and your speaking? Instead, it will be told to him, why were you a sinful person? No one will be held accountable for not being eloquent, but they will be held accountable for being sinful. Then he said, if all the affairs was based on eloquent, Allah, what an amazing answer. He says, if, if everything was based on eloquence, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have placed the message and the prophethood first and foremost with who? With Harun. Because he said, Musa in the next ayah said, Please send Harun. He is more eloquent than I am. But why did Allah give Harun risala? Allah didn't know that Harun was more fasih. This is to prove that point. That's why the, all the prophets have interesting element, uh, elements with them. Some prophets were uh, poor. Some prophets were not able to speak properly. Some prophets had sons who were the biggest kuffar. Some parents, some prophets were fathers. Fathers were the biggest disbelievers. Some prophets had wives who were the biggest disbelievers. These are all so-called weak points, you and I would say. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing who cares about the weak points. That's not a weak point. I give hidayah to whoever I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want. Even the prophet does not have a right to give hidayah to whoever he wants. If he did, he would definitely give it to his wife, he would give it to his son, he would give it to his dad. But he didn't. Because the hidayah is in the hands of Allah. What else you learn? Deen doesn't spread through money. Deen doesn't spread through eloquence. Deen doesn't spread through all of these things. These are just basic means. Subhanallah. This is so deep, man. Because we live in a world that judges everything based on these things. We live in a world that says emphasis on eloquence, emphasis on money, emphasis on looks, emphasis on charisma, emphasis on outreach, emphasis on media outlets. Those are means. I don't deny that. They're means. But the thing that you need to change the hearts is what he said, Fasahatul Jinan. La Fasahatul Lisan. Is the eloquence of the heart. That when the heart is, is fixated in the right place, then a simple shake, handshake will do the job.
One brother was telling me, he said, my father did not have a beard. One brother last week was telling me. He said, we traveled to Haram Sharif, Medina. And he said, Hakim Akhtar, Rahmatullah whose book I covered in, after Asr here in the, uh, in the Ramadan. He said, Hakim Akhtar Saab, he would always speak about the beard and a few other things. He said, he put his hand on my dad's uh, cheek and he said, you know, old man. And he said, what is this? He, he scolded him because Hakim Akhtar Saab was an elderly person. He said, he told him off. He said, SubhanAllah, it was that day and until now, then, you know, SubhanAllah, my dad got the tofi. What happened? Where was he? There was no eloquence there. There was no, there was no, daant pari. I'm saying, I know that. He didn't say daant pari, but I'm sure that's what happened. Daant pari. You got in trouble, right? He, he told you. But what was it? Agar you and I, we say, acha, aisa hota hai. Dari nikalwa hai, daant parna hai. Acha, chalo. Me apne bete ko, son-in-law ko daant sunaunga, right? I'm gonna go tell my son-in-law and my son, hey, daari rak. You're gonna have bigger problems. You're gonna, you're gonna come crying at fajr time. So don't do that. Because why? We don't have the heart. You understand that? Right? That doesn't work like that. He didn't always speak like that. But when he spoke, he spoke with such fikr, with such love for the person he's speaking to, that the person would melt. The person would melt. He couldn't say anything. Right? So let's not try to copy that. All right. So this is what, subhanAllah, we need to focus on, is these three points in this dua. Right? This, mashallah, we're going to continue this beautiful dua from next week. But three things that we learn from this dua, here is, number one, ask Allah to open things to you. Open your heart to things. If you don't believe, you don't understand it, Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow you to understand it. Number two, ask Allah to make it easy. Number three, ask Allah to put, put effectiveness in your tongue. So this work is, is, the work of da'wah is not specific to the prophets. It's for all of us who are uh, following Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We, we have to do that. We have to do that. This is our path. I call towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's going to be a lot of beautiful things inshallah, inshallah we'll talk about next week about how you become the beloved of Allah. Right? Amazing things that, uh, that hopefully we'll cover next week. But it, one point of it that I want to share is that from here is that one of the most beloved people to Allah, one of the most beloved people to Allah is who? Ahabbun nasi ilayya. Who is that? Is the one habbabani ila khalqi who makes me beloved to his creation. Who makes me beloved to his creation. To my creation, sorry. Who makes me beloved to my creation. Meaning, speak about Allah so much that people fall in love with him. Three things. You got to speak about Allah's blessings upon us. You have to speak about Allah's greatness. And you have to speak about Allah's warnings. Three things. Whichever one works best for your customer, your patient, your audience. If you speak about Allah's blessings, he will feel that he needs to worship Allah out of gratitude for him. If you speak about Allah's greatness, he will feel that he should worship Allah out of awe of his greatness. And third, if you speak about Allah's punishment and anger, then he will, fear, he, will fe- he will worship Allah out of his fear. At the end of the day, we need people to worship Allah. Whether it's out of fear, out of love, or out of awestruck by his greatness. Did we get that? Khawf, muhabbat, and azama. Khawf, azama. Khawf, muhabbat, and azama. These are three beautiful things. So my beloved friends, respected listeners of the tafsir, I invite all of you, inshallah, to, make, to take this home right now, immediately. And I request all of you listeners here, online and on-site, that take what I've said uh, and take a list of these 20 people. Make a goal of 20 individuals, inshallah. And we're going to work. Bilal? Bilal, right? We're working on it? Okay, alhamdulillah. Right, so, uh, so you, you, you come up with that list and you work on it the way I mentioned. And you say, I'm going to connect these people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, uh, the, uh, for those of you listening online, 
the 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 works the uh, the program is on site, of course, starting from Juma at 3 p.m. But there will be a live stream for those of you who ca absolutely cannot travel and make it. Although we want you to be here because all the parallel sessions will not be online. We can only have we only can have one live streaming. There's nine parallel sessions taking place. How many? Nine parallel retreats. Women, men, children, babysitting, ages 6 to 11, or 6 to 10, 11 to 13, 14 to 18. And then adults. And then everything I just said is separate for boys, separate for girls. Subhanallah. So nine parallel retreats, we're not going to have nine parallel live streams. We request you inshallah to be able to attend all of these programs. The schedule will be on the website. And there are many people still from across the country who are coming. Jump in, carpool. The, uh, the hotels, if you want to book hotels, they're on our website. Um, and you can, inshallah, if you, anything you need, just message the masjid number, 630-360-2373. Message the, uh, the um, masjid number, and we're here to help you. Uh, we're looking forward to welcoming you all on Friday after Jummah. And inshallah, the program, the ilm workshop on Monday will end at uh, 5 p.m., 4 p.m. Inshallah on Monday, on Memorial Day. So if you cannot attend the entire thing, attend a portion of it. I know we got a bunch of weddings taking place this weekend. So at the, at the weekends, share my message with everyone. And say, you came to the wedding, no problem. But inshallah, uh, the journey to the hereafter is a very important... How, do we hear this too often? Unfortunately, we don't. Unseen is something we rarely hear about. And we're going to have a beautiful roundtable discussion with all the local imams on both days, on various topics. So all your local imams, inshallah, have been invited. And they'll also be joining us Saturday and, and Sunday. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this gathering absolutely a source of great nur and great benefit to one and all. And may He inspire all of you to attend. Who's making knee of attending this weekend? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you plan to attend a portion. Alhamdulillah. Inshallah, may Allah accept all of that. Okay. And number two, who makes niyyah of inviting others? All right. How many, how many you're making niyyah of? 20, right? 20. We can easily do it. Wallahi, we can do it. So Allah is our witness. May Allah make it easy for me, make it easy for you to go to exceed our expectations. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anth. Nastaghfiru kanu tubi ilaik. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.